Hey folks, uh, welcome uh, to another edition of the Mental Health Podcast. Uh, I'm excited uh, to have uh, Stephanie and Matthew with me and they are working on an interesting idea for a startup and uh, I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Uh, hey Stephanie, hey Matthew, uh, how are you guys doing today? Yeah, doing all right. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, the first thing that I like to ask people is to give themselves an elevator pitch. So, you know, Stephanie, do you want to go first and talk a little bit about yourself and uh, uh, where you are at right now? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm Stephanie Greer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Akin Mental Health. Uh, my background is in neuroscience and then also in technology. I worked at Apple um, and I'm really passionate about mental health and the awareness that you're bringing on podcasts like this. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, at Akin Mental Health, we are an online program for the family members. So think parents, siblings, spouses mm -hmm. of someone with a significant mental health challenge. Um, mm -hmm. Usually that's bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, sometimes severe depression or anxiety. And mm -hmm. our program gives those families the tools to help and the tools to heal um, so that they can make progress. All right. Um, Matthew, you want to take it away? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm Matt, Matthew, uh, co-founder and CTO of Akin Mental Health. I partnered with Stephanie, it's been two and a half years now, mm -hmm. where we, we actually met in a Slack group that was mm -hmm. mental health and tech focused. And we were both at the time looking for something that we could build mm -hmm. to help families who are going through this. My brother has a diagnosis of schizoaffective uh, schizo disorder, and mm -hmm. it's been a challenge that my family has been dealing with for many years and trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to support him and mm -hmm. support themselves. And mm -hmm. I've had opportunities to work at really great companies as a software engineer, as a, mm -hmm. an engineering manager and leader. Mm -hmm. And so I reached a point in my trajectory where it was time for me to go and build something that I felt was truly meaningful. And that's where I began doing a lot of research in the space, mm -hmm. came across that Slack channel where then I saw Stephanie's post mm -hmm. and she was looking to speak to other people who had loved ones with severe mental illness. And so that's where we initially connected and started working together from there. All right. Um, yeah, sounds like uh, personal experience and uh, personal problems have led to startups. And uh, it's just exciting that it's happening in the mental health domain as well. Uh, you know, I, I think you partly uh, hinted towards it. Uh, Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what was your motivation behind uh, uh, doing uh, this company and, you know, where you're going with this? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Matt talked about some of his personal experience. And for me, um, my mom has bipolar one disorder. And so um, when I was a kid, uh, that created a lot in our family. We were learning, you know, what is this? There were symptoms related to psychosis that were confusing. Um, my mom attempted suicide when I was about nine. And that was mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. just a really traumatic, but also 
kind of transformational um, part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, my mom also, you know, had very successful treatment and is doing very well. She's uh, retired from a 20 year career. She's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of my, my kid's favorite person. She's a loving grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like people weren't getting this message of recovery and severe mental mm-hmm. illness. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, it also is a significant challenge that requires help. So there was mm-hmm. a, um, period right before the pandemic, um, where mm-hmm. my sister and I really needed to help my mom um, get reconnected to a psychiatrist because hers had mm-hmm. retired and there was a uh, problem. And I mean, people hung up the phone on me as a family member, mm-hmm. I had to make multiple appointments, we weren't mm-hmm. sure if she was gonna have to go to the hospital, which she doesn't want to do because that was a traumatic experience. And mm-hmm. I was like, how do families navigate this that don't mm-hmm. have a PhD in neuroscience and a network of, um, you know, professionals that they can call. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, if you look at the statistics, they they just don't, I mean, the system is so broken in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about the family perspective, particularly from the the research as well is really strong that Mm -hmm. families in particular, when they Mm -hmm. have education, um, mm-hmm. It can really change the whole environment um, for the person struggling. It can really change kind of the opportunities and mm-hmm. it can change that um, story of recovery, which I think, again, is something people really need to hear about and hear the message of that. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I know you mentioned a lot and I, I just want to bring out or highlight a few things that you mentioned uh, you know, how uh, family gets together when, you know, people try to you know, kill themselves or, you know, commit suicide, uh, how the recovery process sort of starts and uh, how you sort of go on, you know, dealing with it um, as well. So uh, I, I I want to understand, like, you know, when you say recovery, what does it mean to you? Because I, I feel like, you know, people have this understanding of what recovery means, but people don't really know what that means. So can you, you know, explain a little bit about what it means to you and, you know, what people can take away from that? So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a really great question. And it's something we have a whole session on in our program, too, for people to come (laughs) and and talk about that, because like the truth of it is, is it's just very individual and unique for each person. There's different pathways to it. Sometimes it means being really involved in like a meaningful hobby or the people that you care about. Sometimes it means being, uh, you know, on on top of your career. Or if you look at Mm -hmm. a story like um, uh, Andy Dunn, who's come in, kind of talk to our audience. You know, he Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, world-class entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. a whole range of things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's ultimately a process that's ongoing as well as you're kind of developing your life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that, For my mom, it's been like there was a period of several years where, you know, there was always kind of different hospitalizations or different medications and different things. Um, And then a real period of stability and kind of building her network and her job and um, kind of getting to a place where she was just kind of living a life that made sense to her, that was meaningful to her and where she was connected to her family. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's kind of all of those things um mm-hmm. 
and I'm sure Matt can share more more thoughts on that too. It's a really yeah. I, I, I was question. going to ask. I, I was going to ask Matthew that wherein like I know he mentioned he had a sibling who you know is dealing with certain similar symptoms and uh, just wanted to get your perspective on what that means to you and how you go about sort of understanding that so yeah it's a great question it's really been a journey for me personally just understanding even what my brother's experiences were like and what these symptoms were like for him and oftentimes when our loved one is you know, tells us that they're hearing voices or mm-hmm. they have extreme paranoia mm-hmm. or it's, you know, maybe the government's spying on them, whatever. Like mm-hmm. the initial gut reaction is to say, no, like that's not right. Mm-hmm. What you're mm-hmm. saying is not real. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to relax or calm down or you think it through. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe we need to go see a doctor to, to fix this. Mm-hmm. And the initial mentality of like, we need to fix this so it stops is mm-hmm. kind of like a normal starting place when as a family member, you're concerned about your loved one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's been this journey for me is over time, understanding that my brother, the experiences he was having were very real to him. And mm-hmm. in some ways they have meaning to him that I just, you know, I, I don't understand myself, you know, he's on mm-hmm. his own journey. Mm-hmm. So what that ultimately means is what Stephanie was saying that, recovery for my brother is, is more about him living the life that he wants to live that's meaningful to him mm-hmm. it's not about getting rid of all the voices or all the symptoms even it's about what what does he want to do in life and what does he enjoy mm-hmm. and can can he achieve that mm-hmm. so that disconnect between our instinct as a family member to try to help and fix things mm-hmm. is that takes time to get over to see like oh like what i need to do actually is listen to my loved one listen to my brother see what mm-hmm. he what he enjoys and then support him in doing that mm-hmm. and so yep. you know my brother you know now he's he's um doing well he loves to read a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a, an encyclopedia of a bunch of different types of music and mm-hmm. so we connect really well on all of those things and, and that's how he loves to spend his time interesting um so i know you mentioned a very important thing there wherein we when we see a problem and and i feel this too like i'm an engineer uh, by profession and when i look at a problem the first instinct that comes to me is how do i go about solving this or like how, how can i make this better or how do i uh, you know go about uh, creating a pathway where i don't have to sort of deal with it and i can make it easier for others as well so you know, either one of you, can can you talk a little bit about your own journey from like understanding what fixing something means and how do you sort of uh, allow yourself to be comfortable not, you know, fixing somebody else's problem or like being, uh, you know, uh, open enough to uh, understand uh, or hear the other person out? <laughs> I, I'd love to have you talk about this, Matt, from your story. I know you've even kind of written about this part of the journey for you and and what that's looked like yeah so as part of our program at akin we have a focus on communication skills it's one of the core topics that we talk about mm-hmm. and the first thing we talk to our participants about is this tool called active listening and mm-hmm. if if you've practiced active listening before sanjay i mean you're doing mm-hmm. a great job it right now it's it's really about hearing what the other person is saying Mm-hmm. Not trying to interpret 
the situation for them or trying mm-hmm. to convince them of something. Mm-hmm. And for me, that that was really meaningful in how I interacted with my brother when he would talk about voices that he would hear. Mm-hmm. My initial reaction when he would tell me about that was to convince him that they weren't real or say they were just in his head, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And that would create a lot of conflict in our relationship because mm-hmm. he's having a real experience and I'm telling him it's not real. And mm-hmm. so it kind of erodes the trust that he would have. Mm-hmm. Over time, I learned, I mean, there, there was a moment that I wrote about, it was kind of an, an epiphany where I realized that my brother, he was having a real experience. I couldn't convince him out of it. And the best thing I should do is to, to listen to him and to practice that active listening skill. And when I did that, my brother would tell me all sorts of things that I didn't know, like mm-hmm. who they were, what they were talking about and all of these mm-hmm. things. You know, that wasn't something that fixed the voices he was hearing, but it changed our relationship in a mm-hmm. way that now I became his partner. You know, if the mm-hmm. voice is stressing, he can talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by being able to do that, then that was really soothing and supportive for him. Mm-hmm. So that was a, kind of a moment there where I realized you know, what you were pointing out, Sanjay. I didn't need to try to fix this or be in denial about it. What I needed mm-hmm. was to listen. Mm-hmm. And hear my brother out in order to be the best support system for him mm-hmm. yeah uh thank you for sharing that uh you know i i have a different kind of struggle um you know i have parents who are very faith bound uh they believe strongly in in their religion they believe strongly in the perspective of being uh, one true power which uh, has a lot of control over what happens in your life and um it's hard for me at times to sort of have engaging conversations where they say the same thing over and over again, saying you need to have faith or you need to, you know, trust this entity, whatever that is. And, uh, you know, what you mentioned sort of resonated so well. And uh, I've been struggling with, you know, having these conversations and not sort of breaking uh, contact and, you know, uh, ruining whatever level of trust that we have. But uh, this, yeah, was uh, definitely insightful. Um, you know, uh, talk a little bit about like the whole discovery process. Like, so how how do people sort of engage with Akin? Like, h- how do people sort of find out? And like, once they find out what, like, what is their process of like engaging with Akin? So. Yeah, most of the people that find us are searching online. Um, They're often searching for how to help their loved one or they're searching for support groups for themselves or things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, when they find us, we ask a series of questions on our website about um, what they're going through, like what what are some of the diagnoses or the symptoms that they're facing, um, that kind of information. Mm -hmm. And um, when they sign up for the program, then there's two different types that we're offering currently. There's one that's a self-guided version, which is video lessons of our content to take people through, and then they can engage in our online community as well, Mm -hmm. that version. And then a live guidance Um, version where it starts with a one-on-one welcome call with a guide with a kin. So that's someone else who's had lived experience with a loved one with mental Mm -hmm. health as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then live weekly group sessions, we host those on Zoom and have live discussions around uh, a set of topics. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a 
12 week curriculum. That's kind of our core program. And then Mm -hmm. for members who complete that, we have an ongoing, uh, what we call resilience group, which is a kind of group coaching format for ongoing support. Um, And what people go through in our program is uh, a lot of really meaningful transformations. What we hear from people, they change perspective, they're given new skills, like the communication skills Matt was just talking about. We Mm -hmm. talk about boundaries and self-care for families, members as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things we haven't touched on is kind of that piece of the tools to heal for the families themselves, because Mm -hmm. these can be really traumatic experiences. And Mm -hmm. Families are bringing kind of their own like feelings and impact around it too. You can't just, you know, uh, you're, you're not someone's therapist, you're, right. you're a family member and you're part mm-hmm. of that relationship. So having mm-hmm. the, the group sessions with the other families going through similar experiences and then talking about things like boundaries, problem solving, self-care that direct towards the family is, is a really core part of the program too. Interesting. Um, you know, you brought up a few interesting concepts there. So I, I was just trying to understand, like, uh, yeah, uh, there is this aspect of group therapy. Uh, there, there is this aspect of individual therapy. And, you know, there are aspects where you are sort of trying to highlight awareness. So, you know, uh, can you sort of uh, describe, like, how did you sort of, what was your rationale behind sort of picking uh uh, you know, video sessions and having, uh, uh, you know, engaging conversations with people or educating people, you know, was the best way to sort of reach uh, out to people and, you know, enable them to sort of help themselves. So I, I'm just trying to understand that part. So, yeah. Yeah, the basis of the program is a lot from a, a very longstanding research base. So there have been family programs, you know, particularly for disorders like schizophrenia for the Mm -hmm. family members. And they have proven outcomes that show that when those families have this type of education, Mm -hmm. um, it's called, you know, family psychoeducation, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that it really improves outcomes for the person with the diagnosis. And it also helps to kind of improve stress and other things around the family members too. Um, so a lot of where we've started with Akin is looking at that research, you know, how have those programs been developed? Well, some of them are in these group settings with families, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do they teach? We teach a lot of those skills. And so we've been building off of that evidence base. Now we're mm-hmm. also, um, you know, very immersed in the, you know, tech consumer product world. We want people modern conveniences and the solutions that really fit their lifestyle and their schedule and everything. So we've been really trying to innovate on format, but kind of starting from that place of, okay, what do we know is proven to help? And Mm -hmm. then how do we make this something that is easy, convenient, you know, meets people where they're at and Mm -hmm. um, can help a huge number of families. That's really our goal. Wow. Yeah. So uh, sounds like a neat initiative. So one thing that I've been asking people uh, a lot lately is May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And what are some of the things that you have noticed that still people aren't aware of? And, you know, you would want to sort of highlight and make sure that people should be talking about or, you know, should be reading about. Go ahead. Whoever wants to go first. (laughs) 
So, so, so many things. Um, I think uh, so. I think both of us will have um, things to pull. I, I mean, one thing is really that um, I think that so much of the mental health treatment is focused on an individual, and it often mm-hmm. leads to isolating them, bringing them away from their family or support system. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really a big thing we want people to be aware of is just how important they are as family, even if they don't feel like they're getting that message. If they're a parent of a young adult and there's conflict, they're still really important. And Mm -hmm. um, that we really think the system needs to bring in more families into the conversation, into the support system. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that's one big thing. And um, sure Matt has another big thing <laughs> to be aware of too. And to just to highlight that again, one thing that we we say at Akin, which is sort of a profound statement, but also like completely obvious, is that mental illness impacts the whole family. Mm-hmm. When we look at the structure of our mental health care system, that framing does, does not exist. As Stephanie was saying, it's very much individual focused. This person has this problem that, that should be fixed. You know? And there's a lot of great people working in the mental health care system. So not to you know, say, say that the whole thing is, <laughs> um, you know, not to tear down the whole thing, but we really believe that in order to improve mental health or to help people with mental health challenges, especially in the severe categories, people experiencing psychotic episodes, uh, and things to that degree, that the whole family needs to be engaged. And, you know, that also stems from our personal experiences too. You know, I've been there to support my brother. I've been doing whatever I can to support him and his experiences have an impact on me. So mm-hmm. thinking about mental illness working across the whole family unit mm-hmm. is kind of the shift that we're that we're trying to trying to promote, trying to get people to think about and to be aware of. Right. Um, you know, some of the things that I've been very curious about is like preventative uh, measures. And and I feel like today uh, people, you know, switch very quickly into getting into prescriptive medication or, you know, so uh, and, you know, you, the thing that you also mentioned sort of connected to that aspect, wherein like uh, when do you know that it is sort of time for people to sort of reach out to Akin, right? I mean, like, I, I, I'm just curious because, you know, there, there are points where, you know, things might become so out of control that, you know, family as a whole may not be able to support them. So, uh, you know, just curious in terms of your thoughts on like how people can go about approaching that as well. So, Yeah, people reach out to us at all, a lot of different points in the journey. Um, and the you know, we're really providing education and skills and they can be useful at a lot of different places. Um, It's Mm -hmm. often the case that families become really activated and engaged when someone has had something like a hospitalization related to a mental Mm -hmm. health problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's often a point that families are really searching for answers, searching for what they can do. And it's often the case that that transition between uh, being in the hospital and being at home is very confusing and mm-hmm. bewildering mm-hmm. and people don't know what to do. So that's a, um, a really kind of high activation point. But I think families can be engaged all along. And you're talking about this theme of prevention. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting to me, looking at the definitions um, from the NIH around mental illness, they have kind mm-hmm. of any mental illness that covers all kinds of diagnoses. And then they talk about serious mental illness 
And um, the way that that's classified is a mental a, a mental illness that's getting in the way of life's major activities. So right. things like getting a job or, or mm-hmm. getting married. And so when we think about preventing serious mental illness, it mm-hmm. isn't about preventing having a diagnosis or something, but mm-hmm. about preventing that from getting in the way of your life. Um, and mm-hmm. so if you're still able to kind of get the tools to do what you want to do and <laughs> be with the people you want to be with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really core part of prevention and mental health um, okay. that I think is important to highlight too. Wow. Great. Yeah. Um, so the the other thing that sort of comes up is like um, mental health is such a big umbrella and uh, you know, there, there are so many problems that need to be solved. And uh, you know, my last conversation with Anya from Leaf Health, uh, she mentioned the same thing wherein like, uh, there's so many questions. So do you have any questions or do you have problems that you think people can be working on or should be focusing on? I mean, I- I'm just curious if you if you don't, you know, feel free to speculate on it as well. So so that people become more aware from from that standpoint, too. So, yeah. Do you mean like society problems that, that we should? Um, so um, uh, uh, I think uh, some questions around mental health which haven't been answered uh, as of now, or some problems which can be solved, but you know people aren't really solving as of today. So yeah, something on those lines. Uh huh. Awesome. I don't know. Does something come to mind to you, Matt? <laughs> I mean, you know, we spend so much time thinking about the relationship with family and, and mental health. And I mentioned earlier this sort of hurdle of helping people go from this place of like, how do I, how do we fix this? How do we get rid of it? Mm-hmm. To having this transformation and seeing things like, you know, the goal isn't to get rid of it, but to live well, even if you experience these types of symptoms. And something that obviously gets in the way is the diagnostic terms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the psychiatric diagnoses, uh, a lot of people are familiar with those. Those tend to become identities for a lot of people and mm-hmm. family members tend to identify their loved ones, you know, sometimes right. the term, um, you know, he, he's schizophrenic or she's mm-hmm. bipolar, things like bipolar. that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so one thing I'm just curious about is how we might create the shift from, you know, helping people to no longer identify others or themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to more thinking about it to the what are the challenges that somebody's having with their major life activities with with the things they want to do in life and mm-hmm. how do we focus on resolving those challenges instead of you know creating this identity around a, a mental health diagnosis so, mm-hmm. so something I, I think about definitely um so yeah that that was a great answer um don't know if stephanie you got something out of it but uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah i mean that's a huge huge part of it i mean there's just so many challenges in the system itself um i think one of the big themes that i think about is um uh, continuity of care or um, uh, Todd Minsel talked about in his book, uh, Healing, about responsibility and like mm-hmm. having one entity or doctor that can really follow the journey of someone. If mm-hmm. you think about something like um, primary care in mm-hmm. physical health, you have a primary care doctor and you might have mm-hmm. a relationship with them for a long time and then mm-hmm. have a specialists in mental health the fragmentation 
is so difficult. Every family at every cut in that fragmentation is going through a new crisis, not only because they're having a crisis, but because mm -hmm. they don't have a network to connect with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that continuity, you know, I see the family member, the, the mom <laughs> as that continuity usually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where is her partner in the healthcare system that mm -hmm. isn't going to prescribe every medication or monitor every uh, hospital stay, but is going to be there to say, I know this person, I know their journey, and you don't have to reinvent every single time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, thank, thank you for, you know, uh, giving that elaborate answer. Um, <laughs> Sorry and, about uh, that. I tend no, to... No. The reason why I asked this question is, you know, I just want people to get curious by listening to somebody else who's been working in this domain for this long. I want somebody to get curious when they hear this and they're like, wow, okay, that sort of stuck me. And, you know, let me start working on that problem that, you know, people aren't working on. So that is my whole goal behind doing this as well. So, oh yeah. So, uh, what is your ideal journey um, for anybody who um, comes to Akin Health? And, you know, what is your ideal goal for a family which sort of goes through your system? What is What would that look like for you? Sure. Yeah. So people typically start in our core program. We have 12 weeks of lessons to cover the basics of what is mental illness, what is kind of self-care, communication, problem solving. And as they go through that journey, they build the confidence and the skills to manage what seemed impossible to manage um, mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. that kind of core experience. Um, for some people, depending on what their facing and, and what's going on with them, that is just the, the core kind of building blocks that they needed. Mm -hmm. um, for others, they are continuing a journey that's going to be years long, and they mm -hmm. need a social support network that's going to stay with them and uh, that they can connect with. And that's where we have our resilience group, which mm -hmm. allows people to connect every uh, two weeks or so and kind of coach each other through individual challenges. Um, okay. And our people who have gotten the most out of our program, they've changed their perspective a lot. Things like um, having an adult child, you know, someone in their 30s that's living in the house when they should be able to manage on their own, but they can't kind mm -hmm. of negotiate that situation and navigating that to have a successful outcome. We've had people who've had, again, usually adult children's been in and out of hospital several times um, to trying to help be a support as they start a new you know, job training program and are learning uh, new skills and kind of getting disability. So we try to be the partner for the family along that journey that the uh, individual with the diagnosis is going on as well. Oh, yeah. So what are what is something that you're excited about in terms of the mental health space itself on things that people are working on or like something that, you know, people are developing that uh, you know, you would want people to know about as well. I mean, one 
organization, uh, one company uh, Stephanie spoke to recently that we've taken a look at is uh, First Hand Health. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they focus on engaging people with serious mental illness who are not engaged in treatment mm-hmm. through using peers. Mm-hmm. And so I believe the idea is to get uh, peers to go visit that person that you know is not engaged in, in healthcare and we'll we'll talk to them and say, hey, mm-hmm. I've been in this situation before, mm-hmm. develop rapport with them, and then create this entryway into the, the healthcare system. And mm-hmm. that is really powerful for for many reasons. I mean, one of them just like that outreach, like going to people and mm-hmm. trying to make that connection. Mm-hmm. To the use of peers of like people who have gone through the situation mm-hmm. get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is so important for building credibility and that's really we hadn't really touched on this but akin we're you know we're running this program founded by family members who who have a loved one with you know severe mental health challenges mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's this peer aspect to what we're building as well and so we just believe in in the power of talking to people who have walked the path before and so mm-hmm. with and health it's exciting to see that and i'm excited to see other companies take that same approach and recognize the value of people who have been through the struggle and mm-hmm. who have this major opportunity to help other people who are struggling. What are some of the things that can go wrong, right? As part of this process, I'm sure, you know, we can have the best of intentions at times, uh, you know, things sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you know, people, some people may not recover. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I want to kind of clarify the question. I mean, I think, um, you know, in terms of things going so wrong. So what's the worst case scenario that might happen? Uh, you know, if, you know, uh, uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, families come in and, uh, you know, they, they're doing their best and, you know, things just don't pan out from from that standpoint. So, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, you know, this is a struggle that people don't talk about enough wherein like there are going to be cases where not no amount of help at times you know uh, is comforting um, yeah. and i know of people who've you know gone to euthanasia and you know even though there was nothing physically wrong uh, you know people have taken that path because mentally you know it was just too challenging for them to sort of even engage uh, on a day to day basis mm-hmm. so yeah so you know yeah. if you had anything or a comment on that you know that'll be helpful so yeah sure i mean one of the things and maybe this is going to what you're talking about with building more awareness to you is that we really need to recognize that mental health is a life and death um type of challenge and type of illness for people and that there's very serious consequences, you know, because of suicide. And then in severe mental illness, you're also talking about uh, incarceration and people's lives getting subsumed by the criminal justice system because of mental health challenges. And we know Mm -hmm. that the criminal justice system is the biggest provider of mental health in America because Mm -hmm that's how we treat this um, challenge. Um, From our point of view, where we are, you know, we sit with those families. Um, We have families who have loved ones that are in the criminal justice system. They've been in and out. They're not accepting treatment. They're Mm -hmm. getting involved in really dangerous drugs. There's possibility of overdose. Um, And then there's also the possibility of suicide. Um, We're, a fairly early company, we're still building 
our, our program, we haven't had anyone whose loved one has passed away, has died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have personal, you know, friends who've had loved ones who've died by suicide. And as I said, in the beginning, my mom attempted suicide when I was about nine, and I was actually involved in finding and getting her help. And it's um, something we talk about in our program, too, because families are there, um, you know, they, in in you know, they don't know what to do. And then they need to heal from that experience too. Um, so, you know, where, where we're at, we're not uh, providing patient care. Um, we're really ready to sit with the family through any of those things that they are a part of um, that they need help to, and, and support to be, to manage. Okay. Um, so- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. To add to that, part of the pain when you're supporting a loved one who's in a psychotic episode, who's maybe in a dangerous situation, and uh, you're really worried about them, it's your sibling, your son, daughter, part of the pain there is wondering if you could do more or what else Mm -hmm. could be done. And what we try to do with our curriculum or our lessons is to give the sort of the framework for here are the things you can do and also remind people that you you can't control the other person there's sort mm-hmm. of this ultimate mm-hmm. limitation of we're not going to be able to make our loved one do something mm-hmm. um, or you know convince them of something but we can show that we're there to, to be their partner and so you know because we ultimately can't force or change somebody's behavior mm-hmm. that requires that we can find peace in knowing that we've we've put the effort forward mm-hmm. and um even if our loved one goes through more ups and downs like we need to be able to have the coping skills to go through those episodes mm-hmm. and to still be there and, and and have that partnership um so there's you know there's no guarantee that um when you learn all the skills and all the knowledge you're going to be able to put your loved one like you know everything's going to be good after that but um, you can be much more prepared to to cope with all of the challenges. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And that sort of idea sparked uh, a conversation in my head where uh, I remembered that uh, when, when you talk about guilt, it manifests in different ways. Some people feel guilty. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wonder if they had done something, you know, things might have been better. And other people feel guilty because they did something and, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what impact it had on somebody that they did something about it. So um, it's more of a dual edged sword from, from that standpoint. Um, uh, so so the, the last thing I wanted to ask was like, you know, in terms of policy, do you think you know there is any influence that companies can make in terms of data that they gather or you know in terms of uh, uh, the effect that you produce in terms of making changes towards policy or is this something that is a very large battle and you know you just pick and choose your battles and you this is not one of them you want to sort of go go after so you mean uh like government policies government policies yeah in terms of like how um you know mental health is being handled as of today so <laughs> yeah these are big topics <laughs> <laughs> how should we change policy i mean there are so many ways that the government is really the main player in uh serious mental illness care um and they're kind of 
doing that in strange ways. So I, you know, I talked about the fragmentation and the need for continuity, but some of that happens because all of the mental health care is kind of like managed by each county. Um, and that's often where people are getting care. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big supporter of the initiatives to get um, parity for mental health and physical health care um, and what can happen there. Um, and I think that thinking about models where people have something somewhere in place that there is somewhere, there is like a default for them to get mental health somewhere, the way that they're really usually is a default to get physical health care mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about people asking for help and encouraging them to ask for help. And mm -hmm. that's, that's wonderful. People should ask for help, but it's also kind of a big obligation to put on somebody who's struggling with their sense of self that they're mm -hmm. going to know. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder if there's policies where it can be more of a invitation and there's already an offer of help and there's already a place that's in place that they have a relationship with a provider. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that policies can be can be part of that where we mm -hmm. are expected that everyone has some kind of mental health need um, mm -hmm. the way that we expect that everyone has some kind of physical health need. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. One thing that came to my mind was what if the the people in the family are the reason why uh, an individual is impacted and what is your answer to that question uh, when people say hey you want people together to um, help uh, the individual out uh, how do you sort of isolate that or how do you bring people together uh, to form better connections that way so yeah, um, and I'm happy to, to talk about this one. Um, one of the things um, Matt mentioned are a principles, mental illness impacts the whole family. Um, and we actually started out with uh, a principle that's it's not your fault as a family, um, because we really believe that um, uh, families are often blamed when they shouldn't be. But mm -hmm. the truth is that there is real abuse um, among family, among blood relatives, and there can be um, like real trauma affected from mm -hmm. one individual to another that can come from a family member and is often, if there are cases of abuse, it's somebody that's close to that person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, those those cases of abuse, I think, one of the biggest things is those uh, kind of clear abusers are, I think are very unlikely to come to again at all. They're not seeking out ways to help their loved one because they mm -hmm. are, I mean, you know, they're just doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is this case where there's families that are really being impacted by the symptoms, by the trauma, and they're doing things that are unproductive, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they are really in their intention is good. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they're getting all kinds of mixed messages. And mm -hmm. um, some of the, the books from the evidence base that I was talking about, um, they, you know, they talk about how um, most of the time when there's like a lot of conflict in the family, I mean, that could definitely be making mental health worse, but it's mm -hmm. usually the best explanation is that the symptoms are affecting the family and they're not acting in their best way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so we just really believe that when people who have 
a strong intention, are given the skills and the education that they are in a much better place to to resolve that and, and become better mm-hmm. partners with their loved ones and become better. So we think there's a huge opportunity for families that are causing conflict and causing things to get worse to learn how to handle it differently mm-hmm. um, when they have that intention behind, you know, doing something differently. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people who have dealt with this kind of situation uh, are struggling for one, for validation and for two, um, finding resources um, to for, for one, help themselves and to help, uh, you know, their own family members as well. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. So, sure. <laughs> I know we touched up on a lot of topics, but uh, if there are a few things, you know, I usually ask people one thing, but you know, I I know we can't just talk about one thing. So, if there are a few things you want people to take away from this conversation, what did it be for you? So, be willing to ask your friends and family how they're doing for real. <laughs> we talked about. <laughs> conversation and be be ready to listen um and know that you know you're a part of their mental health journey and invite other people to be a part of your mental health journey um we can't uh someone wrote this recently um somewhere so i'm quoting someone else but we can't treat isolation with isolation Mm -hmm. and um so much of the uh what mental health challenges are come from that isolation so i think that's one big part of it and yeah, well, I, I would just like to, you know, we have these principles at Akin, and so those I feel are, are really powerful. So mental illness impacts the whole family. Mm-hmm. We talked about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Your response matters as somebody who cares about another one, family member, friend, your response mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. You matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to support your loved one, but you need to make sure that you're supporting yourself as well. That I do mm-hmm. from an empty cup and recovery happens in collaboration. Mm-hmm. Stephanie just said, you know, we're, we're isolating people and expecting them to, to get better all on their own, but it's really mm-hmm. a team effort mm-hmm. and where we can empower friends and family mm-hmm. on that team. Then, mm-hmm. you know, we believe the more likely we'll see recovery with you know mental health challenges. All right. Uh, th- uh, thank you again for your time, uh, Stephanie and Matthew. It's just been very enlightening and, uh, you know, mind-blowing at the same time. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would listen to this conversation, get inspired, get more aware. And my hope is somebody finds an idea in here and, uh, you know, starts working on it as well. So uh, mm-hmm. here is to better mental health. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been so great to be here. I really appreciate you inviting us on and, and having us discuss these things. We're really passionate about it and love to talk to anyone that, that wants to talk about it. Uh, great. Great.